So the next element that we need to establish for purposes of holding someone accountable is this element of mens rea. And this element of mens rea really refers to um, whether or not the accused acted wrongfully, right? And what this wrongfulness entails is really the, the presiding officers required to... Um, climbing to the, the mind of the accused to determine if the accused in fact operated with the with the guilty mind, if the accused in fact is blameworthy, if Oscar, who claims that he didn't intend to kill River, didn't act in fact act wrongfully and was in fact at fault when he pulled the gun and he shot River Sternkamp right. So when we're looking at men's day and when we're looking at fault, it's important to remember that we have two forms of fault, right? We have the form of fault in the in the form of intention, which is what we traditionally all understand when we speak about fault. And the form of intention is when you, for instance, deliberately grab uh, a gun um, because I am irritated and I've had enough of my boyfriend and I can't handle his complaining any longer and I pull a gun and I aim it at my boyfriend and I shoot, right? And I kill him. In that instance, uh, if the prosecutor wants to hold me liable for killing my boyfriend, one of the elements that she has to prove is mens rea. She has to show that I'm, I'm at fault. And in that instance, she will say that I acted with intention. And the reason she will say with, that I acted with intention is because I deliberately set out to kill my boyfriend, right? I deliberately set out, set out to commit that particular crime and therefore I'm at fault, right? And therefore I indeed acted wrongfully under criminal law. But intention, right? So deliberate uh, acts, uh, criminal acts is not the only form of fault that could potentially hold someone liable. And we also know that we have the form of fault in the form of negligence. So let's say the famous case of the taxi driver who was standing at the railway crossing and decided that even though the light said he can't go, um, he was nevertheless going to try his luck and he was going to cross the railway um, um, lines. And there were these stu uh, students, these learners that were in the car, these children, and a, a train came and... Uh, there was an accident and the driver was the only person who survived, right? And in that instance, the driver could be prosecuted for the murder of those children, even though the driver never, ever set out to kill those children, was never, ever the driver's intention to kill that children. But the driver can be held liable for killing that children. The, 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 the driver, notwithstanding, not having the necessary intention, was nevertheless wrong, nevertheless had what the law refers to as this guilty state of mind because he was negligent in his actions. He was careless when um, deciding to cross that railway line. And so for that reason, because of the carelessness of his actions, uh, one can establish that he had the necessary fault uh, or mens rea, right? So what mens rea means in the context of fault is that, sorry, in the context of intention, remember, so we have these two forms of fault and the one is intention. What mens rea means in the context of intention is that either I foresee something, right? So I know it's going to happen. I know if I take a gun and I aim it to my boyfriend's head, 
I know in that instance that I'm going to kill him, right? So either I foresaw something, so they refer to this as subjective foresight, I actually knew that this will happen, right? Or I didn't know it will happen, but I saw the possibility that it might happen. So let's take the example of our taxi driver that jumped the railway line, right? In my previous example, when I referred to his negligence, it was a taxi driver who had jumped the railway line many times before, and so he didn't think there was anything wrong with it, and he was just going to jump the railway line, and everything was going to be fine. In that instance, the taxi driver acted with negligence. But let's say we have a taxi driver who never did this before, who was at two minds as to whether you should cross the taxi line, um, the railway line or not, um, foresaw the possibility that a train could hit him while he's crossing the railway line, right? But never cared and decided, like, you know, oh, well, even if the train hits me and all these children die, um, I don't care, right? I'm just going to do it in any event. I'm going to try and jump the railway line in any event. In that instance, he foresaw that he may break the law. And so even though he didn't foresee that he will break the law, he nevertheless acted deliberately and he nevertheless had the necessary intention. So when we go into intention, I will explain these concepts in more detail. It's important to note that we have four different forms of intention. And the first form of intention is what we refer to as dolus directus, right? And the term directus helps you to remember what this concept is, right? Because dolus directus is the form of fault we're referring to where there is direct fault because the person sets out the main objective when committing this particular crime. The main objective is to achieve the unlawful result. So I decide that I'm sick and tired of listening to my boyfriend and I pick up a gun and I shoot him. In so doing, my main purpose in shooting him is in order to uh, kill him, right? And because of that, I do have the necessary intention and my necessary intention occurs in the form of dolus directus. We can also have intention in what we refer to as the as the term dolus indirectus. Right? So even though when dolus indirectus applies is even though I I my main intention was not to commit a crime, right? My main intention was not to achieve an unlawful result. I knew that by doing something, right, by engaging in certain conduct, I knew that I would nevertheless also be committing a crime. So when we speak about dolus indirectus, the, the principal objective, the main objective of the accused person was never to commit the crime, right? But the accused person realized that when they were going to achieve their main objective, their, their conduct to achieve their main um, objective would result in a crime in any event, right? So let's take the example of we have the police and the police are, are chasing a particular gangster um, who had been involved in a shootout, right? And the gangster is running and running and running and the gangster sees 
a, a house, right? And he realizes this is the perfect uh, place where he can escape the police, right? So now he breaks uh, the door and he runs into the house. Now, in that instance, aside from the fact that the, the gangster can be held liable for the other crimes that he committed, in addition to that, he can be held liable for malicious damage to property, right? In in that the person whose door it is it, it belonged to that person, it was their property, and in breaking the door, he maliciously damaged that person's property. He and he acted with a necessary intention, right? And even though he didn't have the intention in the sense that he deliberately set out to break the door, he really wanted to break the door. His main aim was to break the door. Even though that was never his main aim, his main aim was to escape the police officers. But he knew that in order to achieve his main aim, in order to, to escape the police officers, right, he would, he would be breaking the law. He knew that if I, if I, if I broke this door, he would be breaking the law. He knew that if I broke this door, I am, I am transgressing the law. I am breaking the law. But but he just decided he was going to break the door in any event because he wanted to achieve his main aim, which was to escape the police. So Dolus directors refers to an act where somebody uh, acts with the intention of achieving the main purpose. So I pick up the gun and I shoot my boyfriend because he's working on my nerves and my main principal goal was to kill him. In that instance, I was acting with dolus direct. I was acting with deliberate intention and my main intention was to kill my boyfriend and therefore I acted with dolus directus. In the example that we used of the gangster, the gangster is acting with dolus indirectus because remember, the gangster never set out to break down this door. He never identified this house and said, oh, I'm going to steal from this house. And he went and he broke the door in order to steal from the house, right? So in that example of the gangster who wants to escape the police officer he never set out to break the door that wasn't his main aim what he did was he set out to escape the police and in so doing he ended up breaking the door and in that instance he can be held liable for malicious damage to property because he set out to break the door so he set out to escape the police officer but in the process he broke the door so just thinking again about the the um example of the police officer um, one could potentially argue in, in that scenario, and not to confuse you, that when the criminal set out, the gangster set out to, to break the house, he in fact did all, um, act with dolus indirectus because he broke the door, but his main aim wasn't to break the door, his main aim was to steal from the house. So thinking back on that example, I think that is rather a form of dolus indirectus. But the point of the matter, and not to confuse you, is that a person acts with dolus indirectus where they wanted to achieve a result right they broke down uh, a window to climb into a car so that they can go go and have a safe place to see, sleep so the main result that they were aiming at was to have that safe space, space to sleep but in the process in order to achieve that main result they had to break the window of the car and so now they can ultimately uh, be held liable for breaking the window of the car because they acted wrongfully and they did possess fault and they possess fault in the form of intention and the form of intention that they had was dolus indirectus because they deliberately broke the car window but the principal aim was not to in fact 
break the car window. The principal aim was to find a safe place to sleep. So now the next form of fault that you come across is what we refer to as dolus indeterminatus. Now it's important to realize that one can act with both dolus indeterminatus and dolus indirectus at the same time or dolus eventualis as well at the same time and we're going to explore the concept of dolus eventualis in a bit but the important thing to remember is even though you have four elements uh four different aspects of of intention one of those aspects are dolus indeterminus but dolus indeterminus can exist together with dolus indirectus or with dolus eventualis right but let's look a little bit into what does dolus indeterminus in fact mean so dolus indeterminus exists exists where the person didn't have a specific intention to commit a particular act right they didn't specifically intend to kill someone but they realized that in proceeding with the conduct they would kill someone right even though they had no intention to kill someone so the example of that would be let's think about the cape flats okay let's think about the fact that there's a whole group of children and they're playing in the park and one gangster's chasing another gangster and the gangster um uh, flees and he goes between this crowd of children um in order to protect himself but the other gangster doesn't care and continues shooting at him and that other gangster even though they had no spe specific intention to kill a particular child when they shot the gun they knew that in shooting the gun they would end up killing children right and another example for instance is someone that decides uh, a terrorist decides they want um to bomb up uh, an embassy right in that instance even though the particular terrorist did not set out to to, to kill a particular person in the embassy it wasn't a case of there's a specific minister within the embassy that the person wants to set out to kill right let's just say that the, the terrorist wants to prove a point and they just want to kill people in the embassy so they didn't have an intention to kill a particular person by throwing the bomb but they knew that in throwing the bomb someone was going to die so they were going to end up killing someone even though they didn't have the intention to kill a specific person so just to recap again dolus indeterminatus exists where the accused person didn't intend killing a specific person right but they knew right that they could kill a person right and the example we use is the embassy example and we have the particular minister and the aim was to kill the minister and the bomb was thrown in the building to kill a minister the accused person acted with dolus directus in terms of the minister however if other people are killed in the process the accused person acted with dolus indeterminatus in respect of the other accused people because there was never a specific intention on the side of the accused terrorist to kill the other people in the building right and so because of the fact that he didn't have a specific intention to kill the other people in the building with a bomb he's acted with dolus indeterminatus in that situation now dolus eventualis is the most interesting as the forms of intention right 
And Taoulas eventualis has two elements that need to be met in order to say that the accused person acted with the necessary intention. And the first element is what we refer to as subjective foresight. So the accused person must have realized, right, that his actions would ultimately manifest, would result in the specific forbidden uh, conduct, right? But the accused person, even though they subjectively foresaw the possibility that it would result in the forbidden conduct, they nevertheless decided, I don't care, I'm going to go ahead anyway. Anyway, So there was a sort of uh, reckless disregard on the side of the accused person. And in disregarding, right, in being reckless about the situation and choosing to proceed anyway, that accused person is what we refer to in criminal law as having reconciled himself to the possibility that these particular uh, actions would uh, would result in the forbidden result, right? And so an example of this is someone is standing on the opposite side of a river, right? That silver mine and they're on the opposite side of the river and they want to shoot a bird on the other end of the river, right? Because this bird has been working on the nerves, right? So they want to shoot this particular bird. And shooting the bird, right? They realize that there are other people enjoying a, a beautiful day outside. And so there are other people on the opposite side of the river. So this person realizes, right? He subjectively foresees the fact by in firing his gun, right? In so doing, it could result in the death of other people on the other side of the river. But he nevertheless decides to go ahead in any event. If someone ends up being killed, we can prosecute that person for murder. As A, a prosecutor can successfully prosecute that person for murder because they had the necessary intention, right? And if all the other elements are there, they can be held criminally liable for that murder, because they acted with the necessary intention in the form of dolus eventualis. They foresaw that a death could potentially result, but they nevertheless decided, oh, heck, I'm going to go ahead in any event. They reconciled themselves to the possibility that someone would end up being killed, right? Another example would be if you if you driving down the highway, we know that there are those instances, particularly on the R300, where... Uh, cars will be driving and someone will be standing on top of the bridge and they throw a brick, right? And in that instance, the person throwing the brick, right, could be found to have possessed the necessary intent in that instance, right? And the reason for that is because the person would have acted with dolus eventualis. They could foresee, right? Yeah, I, I subjectively foresee. I foresee that this could result in the death of a driver. But heck, I'm going to throw the brick anyway, right? I'm going to reconcile myself to the possibility that someone might get killed and I'm just going to accept the risk and I'm going to throw the brick in any event. Now, what I'm going to require you to do is to prepare a summary on the Oscar Pistorius case, right? On the Supreme Court of Appeal judgment, only in respect of the dolus eventualis issue, right? And I've highlighted the particular paragraph numbers for you in the notes. So I want you to go to the Pistorius judgment, do a short little write-up on the facts of the case, shouldn't be more than one-page summary, and on the defense of dolus eventualis, because you will see in the High Court, Judge Mapisa found that 
Pastorius did not act with Dolus Eventualis when the state argued that he had acted with Dolus Eventualis when he killed his girlfriend. And this ultimately went to the Supreme Court of Appeal. So go and have a read as to what the Supreme Court of Appeal had to say about Dolus Eventualis. So now we've gone to the various forms of in, uh, intention, right? But we recall that fault can exist in the form of intention, but it can also exist in the form of negligence. Now, the important way to differentiate between intention and negligence is that when we're dealing with intention, we're dealing with what the person foresaw, right? When we're dealing with dolus directus, I foresaw that in shooting my husband, he could die. When I dealt with dolus indirectus, I foresaw that by breaking the car window to go sleep, the car window would definitely get broken, right? When I acted with uh, dolus eventualis, I foresaw that by shooting the bird on the opposite side of the river, a person could get killed, but I nevertheless went ahead anyway. All of those forms of intention have to do with, um, all of those forms of fault uh, constitute intention and have to do, uh, and um, concern subjective foresight, right? What the person actually saw. Now, when we move on to negligence, we are no longer in what we refer to as the subjective test because we are no longer referring to what did that person subjectively see. But now it becomes an objective test, right? And the reason we're dealing with objective test, objective foresight, is because we're no longer going to be looking into the mind of what that person did foresee or didn't foresee. But rather, the law creates this sort of fiction where there is what we refer to as a reasonable person. And the person's conduct is going to be measured against a reasonable person's conduct to determine whether or not that person acted negligently and can therefore nevertheless be held liable. So an example, for instance, would be uh, a person who opens a, opens a gas canister, right? Or it's, it's winter, it's cold, um, I'm going to open the gas heater, right? But I go to sleep and I don't turn off the gas heater and um, in the process uh, my two children uh, die because of having failed to put off the gas heater because they, uh, ultimately a fire broke out, and but I escaped. In that instance, I can be held liable for culpable homicide, even though, of course, I didn't foresee on that day that my children were going to die. I didn't foresee uh, that I... Uh, I never intended, I never ever foresaw that it would result in my children's death, but I acted negligently because the law measures my conduct against an objective standard. And that objective standard is what would a reasonable person have done. And a reasonable person would have checked the heater to ensure the gas heater, to ensure that the gas heater was turned off and in that way to prevent the fire from happening. And so because I was negligent in that scenario, I can nevertheless be held liable for my conduct.